Turn to Romans 1. Our reading will come from verses 24 through 32, and that will be the text for our sermon this morning. And it's always good to have the Bibles open so you can be following along in the passages that we're going through for the sermon. Romans 1, 24 through 32, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. And and let us pray. Our Father in heaven, now as we turn our attention towards your word this morning from Romans chapter 1, we realize the uh, heavy nature of this word, that it is a word of judgment. And so we pray that you would help us. Your spirit would come and do its work in our hearts, Father, that we would come to see and recognize our need for the gospel to rescue us, to transform us. And oh, Lord, how grateful we are for the gospel. Pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. I have a a few friends who, when they began, or first began, uh, to read the Bible, uh, they did what any normal person would do when they begin to read a book. They opened the book and started at page one and just began to read there in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Maybe that's how you started uh, to read the Bible as well. Just go to Genesis and start with page, page one. It's definitely not the wrong place to start. For when you do start at the beginning with Genesis chapter one and verse one, you are introduced to the main character and subject of the Bible. The Bible begins with God. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it all starts with God. The Bible starts with God. The world starts with God. All of creation starts with God. From Genesis, we know that we owe our very lives to God. He is the one who created us 
in his image. He is the one who gave us life. And Genesis tells us that he gave us all things to enjoy. He gave us a world to live in. He gave us all kinds of different fruit from different trees in the garden. He gave us the strength and wisdom and the ability to work, to work the ground to provide food for ourselves. And God gave us each other. He gave us, he, uh, he gave the man a wife and blessed them so they could um, populate the world through their loving and committed relationship with one another. And these are all very good things, and they show us that God is a very good God. And that's why it's, it should be so shocking to us when our first parents, Adam and Eve, turned away from him and did the very thing that God had warned them not to do. That's why it ought to be far more disturbing for us when we turn away from God and do the very things that he has warned us not to do. But for the most part, it really doesn't disturb us, and it certainly doesn't seem to disturb those who are on the outside of the church, those who don't claim to have faith in God. We are, we are not bothered at all by rejecting, scorning, or slandering the holy God who gave us all life and breath and has graciously sustained our lives all these years up until now. But we do get upset when we hear that God is angry with us. When we hear that God will judge and condemn sinners. That is what is shocking to us. That is what really bothers us. And if hearing about God's wrath is disturbing or shocking to us, then it shows that we, we don't know God as we ought. For if we knew God, we'd know that he is holy, that he is completely righteous, and we'd know that he is fair. Hear this from 2 Chronicles 19, verse 7, where uh, King Josaphat was charging the judges of the land of Judah, who, who served under him, he, he told them this. He said, now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality. God will give sinners exactly what they deserve. He will give them his wrath, his judgment, and his wrath is not unreasonable. As we'll see in these verses, it, it is fair. It, it, it is what sinners deserve. In fact, it is what sinners want. And that is why sinners desperately need the power of God for salvation. So our main theme is this from our verses here in Romans 1. God's wrath is revealed by his handing the wicked over to be enslaved by their own wickedness. God's wrath is revealed by his handing the wicked over to be enslaved by their own wickedness. So that's the main point or the overall theme of this passage. And uh, I know there is a lot we could say about our sin and about God's righteousness from these verses. But I thought it best just to focus on four observations that stand out to me uh, from these verses. And they're listed on 
your sermon handouts within your bulletin if you want to follow along there. So the first observation is this, beware, God will give you what you most want. In youth group on, on Wednesday nights, I've been teaching our students um, some of the, the key clues to look for in a Bible passage in order to find the main point of, of what the author is trying to communicate to us through what he's written. And one of the big clues to look for is repetition. Uh, words, phrases, or names that the author is clearly trying to emphasize uh, to help us to understand just, just what he's trying to communicate. Uh, well, here in Romans 1, 24 through 32, one main phrase is repeated three different times, hence the title of the sermon. God gave them up. Paul writes that in verse 24, then again in verse 26, and finally in verse 28. It also can be translated as God handed them over. He handed them over, which recalls for Bible readers the explanations by the biblical writers of what God did when uh, Israel uh, would, would turn away from the Lord and break the covenant by, by worshiping foreign gods and trusting in other kings and leaders rather than looking to him, looking to God to be their refuge, looking to God to, to, to be their salvation. They would say that God handed them over to their enemies, be it the, the Philistines or the Assyrians or the Babylonians. And this has the same sense here in these verses. It, it describes how the people of the world turned away from God and refused to acknowledge him and worship him, so therefore God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against their ungodliness, and this is the way it's being revealed. This is how the Lord is punishing sinners for their wickedness. He is handing them over to their sins. Verse 24 again, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So this is what I mean by saying, beware, God will give you what you most want. For those who most want what their sinful hearts desire, this is not a blessing from God, but a curse that God will give that to them. In verse 18, we, 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 we were told that the wrath of God is, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And the is revealed there, it is a present indicative verb. It is happening in the present. This, this revealing is happening now. And this is how God's wrath is being revealed in the present. God's judgment on godlessness and wickedness is to give us what we most want. Notice in verse 24 that it says God gave them up or handed them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. We see similar words throughout the passage for, for lusts or passions or desire. We see it again in verse 26, dishonorable or depraved passions or lusts. Then again in verse 27, these are the cravings of our sinful hearts, our sinful wills is what we desire. It is an inordinate 
desire. It is, is to over-desire something, to desire too much. And, and we see in these verses it is primarily referring to impure sexual desires. The main issue here, though, is the reality that sinners most want. That is what God is giving them up to, the reality of living apart from God. That's what God is handing them over to, just this reality of living apart from God. They most want to live without any reference to him. And so God is saying, this is what will happen when you are not orienting your lives around me. Your lives will be oriented around your own sinful desires. And the more you pursue your sin, the more your heart will harden against God's truth, and the more your conscience will deaden to the evil that you are doing. Paul describes that process in Ephesians 4, 18 and 19, saying those who reject God have become darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So think about what this means for us today, my friends. What is the one main message that our culture, that our media, that Hollywood and every movie and TV series and even even the more modern Disney movies are preaching to us over and over and over again? What is it? It is follow your heart's desires. Give in to your heart's desires. Ignore those who are warning you not to do that. Give in to your lusts. Pursue sensuality. By all means, do what makes you feel good. That is what is considered good and right and even healthy in our culture today. But what's actually going on there? What's actually happening here? When we hear those messages and we, we follow those messages, we say, yes, yes, that is right. That is good. What's happening? The wrath of God is being revealed. God's handing us over to our lusts, which will end up destroying us. C.S. Lewis wrote that there are two kinds of people in the world, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. If you have turned away from God in order to pursue your own sinful desires, beware, God will give you what you most want. He'll let you have it. He is fair. Next we'll see the sin that, that lies behind these desires. Verses 24 and 25, our chief sin is idolatry, which leads to debauchery. Idolatry is our chief sin, which leads to debauchery. Again, we have this dreadful refrain here, God gave them up, God gave them up, or God handed them over three times in this passage, and each time the giving up is a response to the refusal to honor God and instead to worship an idol. Rather than recognizing God as being the supreme ruler, the sovereign judge, and loving provider that he is, sinful man turned away 
and worshipped and served something else in creation whom they honored as greater and more significant than God and more worthy of their praise and devotion. So look, look up in your Bibles, look at verse 24 there. In your Bibles, verse 24 begins with a therefore. Therefore, meaning Paul is about to explain a consequence for what came before in verses 21 through 23. So I'm going to read from verse 20, 21 there. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, so there's our passage now, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, that is, here's the reason, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So whatever we treasure in our hearts or pursue with our lives more than God becomes an idol for us to worship instead of him. As John Calvin said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. He also said man's mind, full as it is of pride and boldness, dares to imagine a God according to its own capacity. We can make almost anything into an idol, something we treasure and live for more than God who created us to worship and serve him and to only be truly satisfied if he is our treasure. God made us to be in relationship with him and as the illustration goes, we have this this God-sized hole in our hearts that we try to fill with our own idols, but of course they can never measure up. We can only imagine other gods according to our own capacity. No God that we dare to imagine, no created thing that we worship can ever measure up to the supreme glory and power and majesty that there is in God. So we'll never be satisfied with it. Like I said before, it all begins with God and our relationship and response to him. Do we recognize who he is and thus fear him and seek to honor him and make him the center of our lives or do we reject him and try to replace him with something that's far inferior? So this, this, this comes first, of course, in the, in the, in the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments begin with the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And also the greatest commandment from the Lord Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The first and greatest commandment. That is who we are to be. If we won't love God with all of our heart, well, then we are going to be loving and serving something else more than him. And as we see here, as well as throughout the Bible, wherever you have idolatry, you will also have debauchery. With displacing God will come the wrath of God, handing us over to our sinful lusts, which lead us to destructive, sensual behavior. 
That happened when the, when the sons of Israel formed the golden calf in the wilderness. Remember that in, in Exodus, right after God had revealed himself to them and gave them his law, they, they, they held this feast of worship, honoring this golden calf, which they had constructed themselves, and their worship devolved into an orgy out there in the desert. We also see it in, in every society that rejects God, our sinful hearts long for meaning, long for pleasure, and for joy, and so we turn to pursuing our central passions. And once we do that, God lifts his restraining hand and hands us over, gives us up to our depraved passions. So fornication is then the result of idolatry. We have all wondered, you know, what has happened to our culture? What is going on in our culture, in our society, in our nation? What is going on when our federal government, led by our president, takes a whole month each year to celebrate fornication? To celebrate sexual immorality of a kind that is contrary to nature? What's happened? What's happened here? Well, it's because our national policy is to worship idols. It's our national policy. To reject God, to reject his word, to turn to idols. And so God has given us over to impurity, to dishonorable passions, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That's where we live. Third, we see when we reject the truth, we will live and die by lies. Verses 25 through 27 and also verse 32 are the primary ones here. Verse 25 stands out as the key reason why God's wrath is being revealed upon the godless and the wicked. It's because of this terrible exchange that our sinful uh, or that, 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 that sinful man has made in our hearts, which then leads to our idolatry. Again, verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In uh, 1974, um, which is also the year I, I was born, um, while he was still living in the Soviet Union, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote a short essay titled, Live Not By Lies. Uh, you can find it online. I would, I would recommend it to you. It really speaks to much of what we are experiencing today in our culture. When, when lies are being perpetuated as the truth and there is both political and social pressure placed on citizens, employees, educators, and civil servants to perpetuate those lies even if they really don't believe them, Lies like transgenderism is normal. Lies like there are more than two genders. Gender is a social construct. You can define your own identity. Being kind and, and, and cordial means accepting and affirming others in their self-determined identity and never questioning it, especially if they are children or teenagers. You especially better not question them about it. I could go on, but, but you, you get the idea. We have all these lies. They're being perpetuated in our culture, forced upon us. We're 
commanded to follow them no matter what our convictions may be. Yet, as we have faced these lies, as we have, as, as we have um, lived with them in, in a way, Solzhenitsyn wrote, when people renounce lies, it simply cuts short their existence. Like an infection, lies can only exist in a living organism. So live not by them. Do not perpetuate them. Stand up against them. Renounce those lies. If you renounce those lies, it'll cut off their existence. They will not be able to survive. But possibly the greatest lie in our present moment is homosexuality is normal. It is normal and it is to be celebrated. But here's what God's word tells us in Romans 1 as to what lies behind that behavior. And it's quite a different perspective than what is required that we believe in our culture. Verse 26 begins by connecting it back to sinners exchanging the truth about God for a lie in verse 25. For this reason, it says, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So there are, there are a few things that, that need to be said about what God's word is addressing here, especially since it contradicts what the prevailing mindset in our culture is. That prevailing mindset that's in both political parties, Democrat and re, re, Republican, and also what we've heard from both leading presidential candidates when they've shared what they believe about homosexuality and lesbianism. They're both following the, the cultural lie about it, that it's normal. So first of all, God's word identifies both of these as sins. That's the first thing. God's word identifies both of these as sins, homosexuality and lesbianism, which are an abomination to the Lord. Our, our culture may call them alternative lifestyles, but the Bible strictly forbids the behavior and clearly states in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 that those who indulge in such things will not enter the kingdom of God but will be condemned. Second, homosexuality and lesbianism are clearly not something that God intended for his people or humanity. From Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created man and woman and giving the woman to the man as a wife, and then God blessed them and commanded them to increase and multiply and fill the earth with offspring. And as everyone knows, even those who promote the lies, offspring can only happen with a man and a woman producing children. Now, I know with uh, uh, medical technology today that a female egg can be fertilized with a male sperm within a petri dish, but it still takes both a man and a woman to produce another human being. Therefore, God's intended place for the sexual relationship is within the loving protection of a marriage between one man and one woman. Homosexual sex is then contrary to nature, as it says here in verse 26. It is shameful behavior, as it says in verse 27, 
and it leads to destruction in a variety of ways, like the destruction of bodies, the destruction of family relationships, the destruction of a civilization. As you read in, in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The third thing that needs to be said is that homosexuality is not an identity. It is not an identity. It is not something that you are, are born as, like your eye color or your skin color that you're born with. As these verses tell us, it grows out of one's sinful, idolatrous desires. Again, look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. In verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. It's not just part of who you are. It is passions that your sinful heart has and that you act on or not. Fourth, we also see in this passage that homosexuality and lesbianism are not the most wicked sins in all the world. For as we see in in the rest of of this passage, verses 29 through 31, there are, uh, those, those sins are just two of a long list of sins that the Lord uh, in his wrath has given over the godless, wicked people to commit. There are many others. You may not be tempted by, by these passions, but there are others uh, in this list here that you are tempted by and have even indulged in, which will also lead to destruction. For the wages of all sin is death. We we can't think it is such a shameful disgrace if someone's son has just announced on social media that he is gay and then not even bat an eye if he would have just announced that he moved in with his girlfriend. Both are shameful. Both are wicked. Both are sinful. And under God's wrath. The last thing that I need to mention about homosexuality and and lesbianism is by far the most important. And so if you've been trying to to tune me out thus far, I would ask you that you please listen to what I'm about to say now. That is, even though there are many people in our world right now who are indulging in these sins, and as verse 32 says, not only doing such things, but giving happy approval to those who practice them, we are never to think that they are beyond hope. Never to think that. For in the same passage in 1 Corinthians 6, where we are warned that those who practice such sins will not enter the kingdom of God, it also says that there were those in the church of Corinth who had been saved from those sins. In fact, it says they were washed, sanctified, that is, made holy, And they were justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. They were saved from those sins, from those passions that they were indulging in. Remember remember now why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel and why he's so eager to preach it to those in Rome, which at that time was a city well known for its homosexual debauchery. Well, it is because 
The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If you have fallen into this sin, or if you have loved, if you, if you have loved somebody, somebody who has, keep praying for them, keep trusting in the gospel, God's promises, keep sharing the powerful words of the gospel with them, for there is hope for them. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He can transform their lives. Do not live by lies. Repent and begin to live by the truth, and the truth will set you free. Although God has given up such people to their sins, he did not give up on them in their sins. And that's why he has provided a way for them, for us, to be saved through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourthly now, when you keep God out, your life will fill up with destructive wickedness. That's what we see in the last few verses here, 28 through 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The Apostle Paul is known for his sin lists. He uses them in most of his letters, but this is his longest one here, uh, 21 in total, but it is not an exhaustive list. Um, it's just meant to show us that all sin comes out of this great exchange that sinful man makes, exchanging the truth about God for a lie and worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator, our idolatry leads to a whole host of sins against God, destructive ones, sins that we know will lead to condemnation and death before an almighty holy God, and yet we give ourselves to them. Paul tells us that sinful man is not merely tainted with these sins, but, but we're filled or we're being filled with them. That is, they are saturated and overflowing with all or every kind of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice, and it goes on. If you keep God out of your life, this is what your life will be filled with. This is what you will be known for. This will be how God sees you and judges you and will hand you over to the consequences of these sins. So if you think about this from, from, from this passage, just the, the, the heaviness of this passage, the almost hopelessness of this passage, if there is one thing that this passage shows us, it is that we would have no hope at all of changing if not for God, if not for the gospel. It would take a miracle for us to change, and the great news is that God, Spirit, can do that miracle. He can change our sinful hearts. He can change our depraved minds. That's what is required. That's what is needed for God to act, for God to have mercy, for God, by his grace, to come and transform us. And that's why we need to depend upon prayer. Prayer for those in these sins. Prayer for ourselves who are enslaved by them. 
crying out to God for his help, crying out to God for his mercy, for his spirit to come and change us. In my reading this week, I came across a quote from Ray Ortland, who was a pastor of a church in Nashville for many years until he uh, recently retired. Uh, What he wrote helps to put our problem into the right perspective and also provides immense hope for sinners like us. He said this, our real problem is not our sins. If our sins were the problem, we might muster the willpower to pull out of this nosedive. But the good news of the gospel begins with some really bad news. Our sins only provoke a bigger problem, the wrath of God. Our real problem is not our sins, but God. He is angry. He isn't going away. And there is nothing we can do about it. If God is against us, who can be for us? But here's the good news. God has made God our salvation. He did it at the cross. God has provided provided a way of escape from God in God, in himself. We run from his wrath by running toward his grace in Christ. And if God is for us, who can be against us?